school and yet still send their kids to school uh, a couple days a week. So uh, Pete is definitely uh, a leader, and we've asked him to bring our message today on leading in the home. So join me in welcoming Pete McAdoo. Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone here. Thank you for, for coming out. It's an awesome thing. Uh, it's a very humbling thing to stand before you and have the privilege to, to talk about leading in the home. And all of us, I would assume, either come from a family, are part of a family, or hope to have a family someday. So my hope is that this will give uh, some encouragement, um, some tools, some hope uh, for wherever you are in that scenario. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for each person here, for each family that's represented. Lord, I know family is so central to your heart, so close to your, your hope for us. And Father, I just pray that today you would have your way, that you would guide my words, and that you would speak uh, through me, that you would speak beyond me and uh, whisper that, that special something into each person uh, here uh, that you know um, that they need or, or that I need. And Lord, I just ask you to be with us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So leadership in the home. Wow, what a topic, eh? You, know, you think about that and you think about your life and you think about your kids and your spouse and all the scenarios that play out across a, a lifetime. Uh, you think about your grown-up years, or you think about your future years. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. When Carl uh, called me, I started putting together some thoughts on the topic, and I, I couldn't help but think back and hearken to those first early weeks uh, when I'd first met my soon, soon-to-be wife. We had just met. We started dating. I quickly was very intrigued with her. She wasn't quite so sure about me just yet. But I, uh, I promptly uh, broke up with a girl I dated for probably close to two years and uh, let her know that, I, that I'd done that. She, however, had been dating a guy for a while. She wasn't ready to stop seeing him. So the weeks went by, and I routinely would ask her, so are you still seeing Jim? And she would say, with all the spunk, if you know my wife, yes, and I'll stop seeing him when I'm ready. And so it was this dance. I tried to pull her in, but couldn't pull too fast, you know, all this kind of thing going on. So roll the clock forward. Maybe it's week six, eight, somewhere in there. And uh, she was over at my place, and I was walking her out uh, to her car, and she turned, and she spun. And if you know my wife, uh, if she ever turns to you and puts the one foot kind of towards you and kind of holds her hands like this, just get ready. She's about to say something significant. <laughs> and so she said to me, she said, are you going to be the leader in this relationship and ask me to see only you? And I was shocked. I go, I am seeing only you. So she thought, and she said, are you going to be the leader in this relationship and ask me to see only you? <laughs> My jaw dropping, and I thought for a minute, and I said, all right. Debbie, will you see only me? And she looked at me, and she said, yes. And she spun around and walked out to her car, got up, didn't even hardly glance at me, and drove away. Now, she would say that uh, I never directly asked her. I was just kind of role modeling. You know, I wasn't all the way clear. And she's probably right. But there, very early, was the call for leadership in the home. A little bit later, uh, kids came along. Our oldest, Olivia, was probably about five, maybe six. 
uh, we were uh, in the throes of a very busy season, and she came to me and she said, Dad, is work and desk more important than children? Whew. Now, she didn't know. She was young. We were processing paperwork to adopt our, our fifth child, and so there was lots of stuff to do at night, and, you know, work was busy. There was a lot going on, a lot of good things, but it was a call for leadership. You know, are you going to give me time? Are you going to, to lead our family? Simple stuff. Happens every day. Mom, what are we going to do today? Not so simple stuff. I think so-and-so likes me. What do you think about that? The call for leadership. As a kid growing up, uh, when I was young, I remember my younger sister asking my mom at one point, are you and dad getting a divorce? The call to leadership in the home. And in that case, the cry for leadership. You know, is someone going to lead around here? Or is no one going to lead around here? And I guess the question I want to pose for all of us, we all get these calls. Are we answering the call to leadership? Or is the line busy? You know, I see it all around me, and perhaps you do too, the statistics on the family. The divorce rate, it always is somewhere around 50%, as long as I can remember, you know, over half. Teens, teen pregnancy, teen suicide, all the struggles in that, that watershed period of life. Crime, the crime statistics. And we kind of all know that, but there's the lower to the ground stuff, the stuff that maybe there's not as much statistics, at least not to my knowledge, but perhaps it's even more common. You know, marriages, spouses that are living in the same space, but the enjoyment factor has really dropped off. You know, the communication just isn't where it used to be. And they're together, but really somewhat separate, somewhat divorced in heart. Kids and parents, you know, kids not respecting their parents. The minivan, I love that. There's great drama. And I must confess, we're on our second minivan, so we've, you know, gone over the hump a couple times. But, you know, parents sometimes losing it at their kids and then trying to pull it back. Families, how many of us are overcommitted, overstretched, too busy? We're running on a treadmill, and it seems like it keeps going faster and faster. And we just have little time to really sit down and connect with those that we hold most dear. Grandparents, I've heard some heartbreaking stories the last, uh, the last few weeks about uh, you know, grandparents and their adult children aren't talking to them. They don't have a venue with them anymore. And the grandchildren are coming along, and they, you know, ouch. And I look at all this, and the burning question inside of me is this. How would all of this be different if the parents and spouses in these scenarios answered the call to leadership in the home? If they stepped off the treadmill, applied their leadership capacities, and made thoughtful, choiceful decisions to lead their families to a better place? And for us, for me, how would our marriages, our families, our children be better, be different if we just stepped off that treadmill and then applied our leadership know-how and led our families to a better place? So we're going to look at leadership in the home today. We've got a chance. Carl's given us a chance to just step off the treadmill for a while, you know, just pause and just think this morning about how we can maybe reorder the deck chairs a little bit in our life. It's a phenomenal opportunity, and family is so important. I just want to say up front two things. First, um, I recognize that some of us in this room are living through some of those painful things I talked about, some of those statistics or some of those lower-to-the-ground things. And I and Carl and the elders have really been praying that this would bring encouragement and hope and maybe some tools to help navigate through those tough situations. The second thing I want to say is that no one sets out in life to be one of those statistics. You know, I want to wind up in a divorce situation or distant from my kids. Nobody sets out for that. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, today is the day I'm going to have a painful argument with my wife. You know, 
or I'm going to lose it at my kid. And we just don't, we don't set out that way. Um, but it still happens. And what do we do? What I love about the Bible is that it's real stories of real people, people that absolutely blow it. Um, some of them do some things to fix it. Some of them don't. And then people that get it right sometimes. One person in the Bible uh, is named Eli. It's a very curious story. And we pick up a story in the book of 1 Samuel. Let's take a look. The boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. So in the midst of the story about this boy, Samuel, this character comes on the scene, Eli. And he's a priest. This is in the time of Israel when the social structure, everything was centered around the church. Israel, if you're a priest, I mean, you're, you're one of the leaders. You're one of the big, the big honchos in, in the community. If Eli was today and he was writing a resume, he'd probably put priest, you know, right at the top of the resume. What would you put on your leadership resume as you think through your life? What would you write? For me, Greg handled some of the current stuff, but one of my earliest recollections was when I was a camp counselor at Walton's Grizzly Lodge. This great camp up in the California mountains, beautiful stars at night, lakes, the whole deal. But I was entrusted with the lives of 10 10-year-old boys for a summer. The wisdom in that, I'm not quite so sure. I was 17, you know, but I was entrusted with that. That was one of my first uh, experiences. And there's been lots through the years. Um, Greg covered some of the recent stuff. But for you, what's, what's on your leadership resume? As I talk about leadership, or if you've been here the last two weeks, you've been listening to Carl's messages, you know, what's been on your mind as you think, how am I going to go apply that? And when I wrote out mine, just thinking through mine, I noticed something that, that disturbed me. And I'm preparing for this message. I didn't include on there, dad. I didn't write down husband. What was on my mind when I thought of leadership was stuff that was outside the home. Causes and things I had passion for and all this stuff. And it kind of troubled me. And perhaps you did as well. Perhaps Eli, in the story, viewed it similarly. He thought the place to lead was, was uh, outside. If you read 1 Samuel chapters 1 to 3, you'll find that Eli had a successful career. He wasn't some slouch. He wasn't an evil man. We find that he prayed for people and God answered. He knew God's voice. He helped Samuel listen and hear God's voice. In fact, he helped many people come to know God in a deeper way. But something was wrong. Something was wrong in Eli's home. Let's take a look at the very next verse. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. So here's this guy, Eli, and he's pouring his life into God's work, and he's leading other people to God and all this stuff. But at home, his sons are wicked. They have no regard whatsoever uh, for the thing that Eli held most dear. And I read that, and I just go, you know, how does that happen? How can that happen? And I guess my conclusion as I, I thought through it is it's, it's just all too easy to be true. You know, I think about my own life, and, I, and I, sometimes I view it as a tug of war, you know, where you got two teams, there's a rope, and on, on this side there's, there's family, and there's my wife, and there's, there's opportunities, and there's needs, and there's joy, and there's fun. And on this side there's... There's work, and there's the school we participate in, the class we facilitate, all this stuff, right? And uh, there's, this, there's this pull, this tug of war for time. There's this tug of war for focus and energy and uh, availability. And you have to think through, you know, where am I going to come out on that? For those who've been here a while, you may recall, uh, we call it the spinning plate drama. 
you know, where there's this guy and he's, you know, there's this person holding this plate and, and they get it, you know, they get it, the plate spinning and it's, it's humming and that's kind of home. And then over here, you know, there's another person with a plate and the guy's trying to keep that one spinning, keeping his boss happy, you know. And then he gets a promotion. He's got to do some more work. And then there's this uh, cause he's, you know, this committee he's on, this thing. And then he looks over and his family plate's starting to, whoa, 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 you know. So he runs over, you know, pop, 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 you know. And then he looks over and his boss's plate is wobbling. He runs back and, and it's just, you know, he's back and forth all over the stage. Uh, and it's a treat of a drama. But at the end, they all come crashing down. You know, one at a time, the plates just crash, 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 crash. And he kind of sits down and just, you know. But I feel like that's my life sometimes. You know, there's only so much of me. There's only so much time. There's only so much energy. And there's all these plates. And how do I keep them all spinning? And really, really, which plate, you know, is the most important? A friend of mine helped me gain some perspective on the which plate is the most important idea years ago. We were just out to lunch. We were driving home. Uh, or driving back to the office, and uh, he, he said this sentence. I don't know if this ever happened to you. Someone says something to you, and you just go, I hope I can remember that. You know? Let's take a look at what he said. Rick said, if I died driving home from work one day, P&G's stock price would be unaffected, but Valerie and the kids' lives would never be the same. You know, and I, I thought about it. I remember this was probably 12 years ago, and I thought about it frequently. You know, if I died driving home, would, would P&G stock price move? You know, Lord knows it might go up. Um, but, you know, for Debbie, for our family, for our children, it wouldn't go up. It would be a catastrophic life event uh, to, lose, to lose dad or lose husband. And the simple truth in, the, in that great sentence from Rick is so stark. For you, maybe you're the head honcho of a small company, and it's not P&G, and it's not you know, 100,000 people. Maybe there's just a few of you, and your company would be dramatically affected. Um, but Rick would argue that those people would probably be okay. You know, they'd find another job, they'd reorganize, they'd do something. But he would still say that your, your spouse, your kids, would still be more affected than that company. So between the plates, which one's the most important? You know, I'd argue strongly that we've got to keep that family plate spinning. That's the one we've got to make sure is there. And, you know, some other ones, uh, you know, maybe not as important. As I thought about Eli, you know, we don't get a ton of cues about what went wrong in Eli's house. As you read through, there's, there's one or two cues, but not a much. There's, there's not a lot of dialogue about what happened on Eli's home front. Perhaps he struggled with the same thing. He, he couldn't decide which priority was the most important, and maybe the, the thrill of stuff outside the home kept him more occupied. Or maybe another hypothesis I came to is that maybe there's just too many plates. You know, he's human. I can't keep all these things going. There's just too much going on. Which leads me to my next point, which is presence. Making choices to order our lives so that we have time and energy for family. Presence, being present, being home, being with your wife, being with your kids, uh, being with your husband. You know, physical presence is so important. But when we're home, are we present more than physically? Are we there emotionally? Are we there mentally? You know, sometimes I come home, and I'm home an hour, and I'm still thinking about what happened at work. And my kids are talking to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. Or, you know, I'm home, and it's a phone call, and I'm talking to whoever, and I'm there. I'm physically there, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not totally where I want to be in terms of, of present. Certainly, this is a key leadership principle, this whole presence thing. You know, how can a head coach lead the team if he isn't at practice? 
or if he's up in the stands talking to the ice cream vendor, you know, while the team's down there, you, you know, the team just wouldn't follow that. How can a team leader at work effectively lead her team if she's not there much? You know, if she doesn't communicate, if she doesn't talk with them, or if she's when she's with them, she's someplace else. An illustration. Uh, Greg talked about our school. We take the shortcut in the back roads two days a week uh, over to the, to the school we take our kids to. And uh, along the way, we started noticing in the spring this man. Uh, and he's kind of in the grandfather season of life. And he has this plot of land. It's about twice the size of this room. And he's doing this garden thing. And he's out there in the spring. And he's hoeing. And he's preparing the earth. And he's fertilizing. And he's starting to plant seeds. And then we you know, kept driving by. About a month later, there's these little shoots coming out. Hey, kids, look. You know, there's, there's a little bit of green out there in that dirt. And he'd be out there, and he'd be, you know, weeding and doing stuff and putting some fertilizer on. Clock rolls on. We're taking a shortcut again. We see him, and these things are starting to come up, and he's out there, and he's, he's weeding, and he's, he's putting some stakes on the, on the tomato plants, you know, to, to help them go the way that, that, that they should so that they're going to thrive. You know, later on, he was, he was out there, and he was, boy, it's starting to really look good, you know, and he's making sure it's protected and everything's cool. Every time, it seemed, no matter it was morning, noon, the guy was there. He was out in his garden. And now, you know, it's just thriving, and he's, he's eating some tasty stuff, you know. Uh, he is reaping what he sowed. I contrast this to a little garden adventure I tried many years ago. Um, I had not a lot of passion for it, but it's like, hey, we got a big plot of land in the back. We were living in Loveland. It's like, why not? We'll make a garden out there. And my kid really wanted to do it. It's like, okay, we'll do it. And so I uh, went out there, bought some seeds, planted some stuff, you know, did some of the same things he did, but I just didn't have the passion for it. I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the time. There was a lot of other things going on, so I just didn't, I didn't get out in the garden much. You know, maybe on the weekends I'd go out and I'd do a little weeding, you know. Oh, yeah, I should water. <laughs> Remember to water. Well, needless to say, you're probably already there. This garden didn't work out real well. I, I didn't get many crops out of this deal, but I got one, my pride and joy, a watermelon plant. If you've ever seen a watermelon plant, it's this big honking vine. I mean, it just like winds all over the place, and you wonder at first, should I, should I prune it or not? And oh no, let it grow, and it just goes everywhere. And then this little bulb shows up, and then it slowly, boom, boom, boom. You know, the vine starts pumping, pumping juice into it. And Olivia would just, my oldest would just say, can we pick it yet? Can we pick it yet? Ah, it's still a little green. Let's give it, a, you know, a couple more days. And every day, can we pick it yet? Can we pick it yet? And it got to the point where it was starting to look pretty tasty. You know, this, this is, we're gonna. And I said, one more day. And so we got up the next morning. Can I go out and look? She went out and looked, came running back in. Daddy, 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 daddy. I said, what? She said, the watermelon's gone. No, you know? So we went out there, and sure enough, you know, some animal had seen how tasty it looked and had drug. You could see the vine. It was all drug in one direction where it was, you know, the animal had been pulling on the watermelon. And so we followed the direction of, of the vine, and sure enough, we found pieces broken and, you know, Maybe there was one bite left, but we didn't, we didn't opt for the bite. And the sad reality came to me that day, standing there next to my lovely daughter, who had been looking forward to this. I had reaped what I had sown. You know, I'd planted some seeds. I hadn't taken care of it. I hadn't protected it. And uh, we didn't have much crop left. And I want to draw the parallels between these two scenarios of gardening to family. And I want us just to all think about that for a sec and, and where we are on the spectrum. You know, a new marriage needs lots of nurture, uh, and then it needs care over the time to keep growing. Small children are just so much like those little green shoots coming out of the ground, you know? They just need a lot of help, a lot of water, a lot of care. And as they grow, they, they need that staking uh, of the tomato plant. Oh, honey, don't, don't go there. You know, come on, come back here. This, this is the way that it's going to work best for you. 
They need protection, all of them, uh, you know, even through the teen years, and weeding, fertilizer. So if you think about that, if we think about that in terms of our family, and I draw a little spectrum for us of the guy, Mr. Gardner, who was there every day. He was in the field. He was, you know, weeding and watering, and he was there. And then maybe where I was, which was the weekend weeder. You know, I'll go out on the weekend, maybe I'll pull some weeds. I'm home, what the heck, I'll go out there. And then maybe, you know, just the plant and leaf scenario where you throw some seeds out there and, and you leave. You think of that whole spectrum, and then you think of it in terms of, of family. Think through, where am I on that? You know, and where do I want to be? Me, uh, with regard to family, um, tell a story of myself. It wasn't long ago uh, in regards to family. This is probably four years ago or so. I was squarely in the middle. I was a weekend weeder. I was busy. I had a lot of things going on. I was involved in a lot of stuff outside the home. I had a bunch of these plates over here, okay? And uh, I felt very stretched thin. There was always another hill to conquer, another phone call. Hey, I could do that. And at one point, my wife uh, came to me, and it was another one of those scenarios where the, you know, the, the foot's kind of, you know, so I'm getting ready, right? And she said, the other woman. And I said, what? And she said, the other woman. That other stuff over there. Now, hear me, okay? She wasn't talking about, don't call Carl on Monday. That guy had spoke, he had another woman, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the other stuff in my life, all the commitments, all the plates, felt like a breach in our marriage. It felt like my allegiances, my emotions, my, my connection to that was stronger than my allegiances, my focus, my passion uh, for her and the kids. It wasn't long after I was at a conference and this guy who apparently was wired somewhat like me at the time uh, was talking about how his kid drew a family portrait and he wasn't in the drawing. And his wife and he asked the child at night, you know, where's, where's daddy? And the, and the child said, daddy's at work or daddy's at the library. Needless to say, God got my attention um, through these two things and I had to make some hard choices. Remember the call for leadership at the beginning. So I gave it some thought. I applied what I knew about leadership, you know, prioritization, decision-making, all that kind of stuff. And Deb and I talked, and we made some priority adjustments to carve out more time for family. I backed out of some of the commitments that were taking so much of my energies, and I, I did it as responsibly as I could. I went and talked to the person, and I said, hey, I know I committed to do this. Can we talk about a transition plan? I really need to move uh, this direction more. We proposed, I proposed, and then we put some boundaries in place. We actually had it for a while, you know, and still do, that we don't want more than two nights pre-committed outside of the home in any week. You know, it's just a boundary. We're, you know, we, need, we want to have most of the time, most of the week, to be together at home. And since that time, we've really guarded ourselves from new commitments. Uh, we talk about every new opportunity. We just had another opportunity. It was actually for Debbie. It was a little while back, and uh, we talked about it, and we put it in the filter of can we add another plate or not, you know? Um, and we've, we pray about it, we think about it, we talk about it, and we only commit to that other thing if we both feel comfortable and if we both feel we can keep the main plate still spinning. So I want to encourage all of us today, right now, to, you know, to think through, you know, what's on your mind as I talk about this? What thing or commitment or, or uh, priority are, are you thinking about? And if it feels to your spouse or your kids like another woman or another man, you know, if it feels like your allegiances are over there somewhere, really take a hard look and make some tough choices to, to, to listen to that and follow your own, your own heart. So we've discussed the plates. 
you know, making a case that, you know, keep the family one spinning at all costs. And then perhaps even back and add some so we have time and energy. But I had done that, but I still had some more work to do. And perhaps Eli, our friend Eli, had done that. But the next one that I want to speak to is trust. What is trust? Trust is the bridge that all relationships walk. It's established one board, one nail at a time. And once established between two people, that relationship can thrive. It's trusting that if I step out on this bridge between the two of us, I know it's going to hold me. I can rely on this bridge. It won't let me down. We've all perhaps heard that trust is earned. Trust can also be lost. A definition I've heard recently that I really like is trust is an expectation built by consistent experience. An expectation built by consistent experience. None of us think about stepping on a bridge because we've consistently experienced if we step on it, we're okay. We can walk across this thing. We trust it. We've had consistent experience. In the context of leadership, thinking about sports, what team would follow a head coach they don't trust? You know, the play's sent in and they question it. There's a substitution made. They question it. That team's not going to be very successful. And for us in Cincinnati, we, if you've been here for a while or followed the Bengals, there's, uh, there's periods where the team obviously didn't trust the coach, where there was a rift, that there just wasn't a connection. And the results showed. On the positive side, recently, our friend Marvin Lewis came to town. Last year was a lot more fun <laughs> if you're a Bengals fan. And so far this year, they beat the Patriots. They beat the Colts yesterday. Holy cow, get ready, you know? But, but Marvin has established a certain level of trust with his players, and it's, it's showing in the results. My brother-in-law was here last night. They drove over to, from Indy, and I talked to him about the Bengals beating the Colts, and he say, had the audacity to say, huh, the Colts didn't want to win that game. <laughs> the Colts didn't want to win a game. Yeah. And so he listened to my message, and I said that, and he came up to me after. They still didn't want to win. <laughs> Crazy. At work, you know, what team would follow a team leader they can't trust? You know, that they just never can rely on the leader. They'll, most teams will find a way to, to still meet their own needs, but sometimes around the leader, they have to do it. At home, how, can a, how strong can a marriage be without trust? How, how can children thrive if they can't trust dad, if they can't trust mom? How can they thrive in that scenario? A concept that's closely related to trust is a concept called characterization. Characterization. You know, when I think of that, I think of maybe the Walt Disney, you know, characters. You know, Donald Duck, Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers, whatever. They they have a certain profile. You watch a cartoon, you know what to expect. You know, Daffy's going to get his face shot off. I mean, you just you kind of know what's going on. 